Well, let me begin by sharing with you a one-liner I read during the week. It's about heaven. It says that the lion shall lie down with the lamb, yet the lamb will probably not get much sleep. Uh, now, I mention this because our passage today is talking about rest. And rest is something we need as humans, all right? We need sleep each day. We need time off each week. And we need vacation each year. One of my colleagues uh, sadly had to fire two uh, ministers from his church several years ago due to sexual impropriety. Uh, but he said, looking back, he saw the wheels start to fall off for both these gentlemen when they had not taken any annual leave for over 12 months. You see, rest is not just something we enjoy as humans, it's something we need. And herein lies the importance of our passage today. Uh, as our regulars will know, we're working our way through the book of Hebrews across term three. And the book of Hebrews was written by an unknown author to an unknown people. Yet what we do know from the content of the letter is that the, re the original recipients were first century Hebrew Christians. Uh, and they were under enormous pressure to leave this, this, this new religion called Christianity and return to their roots in Judaism. And so the author is encouraging them against this by telling them how incredible Jesus is. So in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, we saw the majesty of Jesus. Okay, Jesus is, is greater than angels because Jesus is God. Then in Hebrews chapter 2, we saw the ministry of Jesus. The reason Jesus became a human was so that he could lead the way through death as, as our pioneer or our captain. And then in Hebrews chapter 3, we saw that Jesus is greater than that Old Testament, that great Old Testament figure of Moses. And the author warns his readers not to treat Jesus the way the ancient Israelites treated Moses. Well, Hebrews chapter 4 builds on this warning by showing what is actually at stake for these Christians. Uh, I'm reluctant to say that this is the most important passage of the book of Hebrews, but it's got to be in the top three. You see, what the author is saying is, if these Christians bow to the pressures placed upon them, they risk losing their rest in this life and in the life to come. And this is what is at stake, according to Hebrews 4, losing our rest. Now, while the presses that you and I face as Christians in, in, in our current society may be different to the pressures that these Hebrew Christians faced back in the first century, what is at stake is exactly the same. Right? So if we fail to heed the warnings of our sermon passage today, we too risk our rest. And to help us avoid this catastrophe, I've got three points for us today. Uh, we're going to begin by looking at the very serious alarm bell that our author sets off in verses 1 and 2. So I've titled this, A Worrying Warning. The author then shows us what this warning is about in verses 3 to 10, and it is the possibility of losing our rest. And so I've titled our second point, A Wondrous Reward. Uh, we'll then conclude by seeing how it is we avoid this terrible tragedy, and that's in verses 11 to 13, which I've titled A Weighty Work. And so for our Sesame Street fans, uh, the letter for today is W, but this warning, this reward, and this work is all about telling us what we need to do to avoid the catastrophe that the author is warning us against. 
Yet as, uh, as we begin, can I quickly just say that like the first three chapters of Hebrews, this passage is quite complex. So we're going to need our thinking caps on. Now, if you would rather be doing something simple, maybe some colouring in or something like that, uh, let me know. I'll tell you that our kids' church is having a Zoom meeting today at 10am. I'm sure they would love for you to join. However, if you would like instead to do the hard work of mining for the treasures in God's word, then come with me as we look at Hebrews 4 verses 1 to 13. And our passage begins uh, with these words, 4 verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. So, first thing we need to note about this difficult passage is it begins with the word therefore. And whenever we see a therefore, we need to ask, what is the therefore? Therefore. And it's there because our passage today is building on the author's main point from chapter 3. Uh, and, and, and chapter 3 ended with a warning uh, to that, that the Israelites who were saved all the way back in the Exodus, the Israelites that, that were saved from Egypt by Moses, were not actually able to enter the promised land. They, they were not able to enter their rest. And the reason was because of their unbelief. Now, if you recall from George's sermon last week, the outcome is that you and I need to encourage one another, all right, that's Hebrews 3.13, lest sin and distrust seep into our hearts, Hebrews 3.12, all right? Christians are to help one another in the fight against those ever-constant temptations of sin and unbelief. Hebrews chapter 4 draws a second conclusion to this promise of rest, and that is that we need to be careful, verse 1. But the phrase be careful doesn't actually do the original Greek justice. You see, the, the, the Greek word there literally means to be fearful. Uh, it's the Greek word phobos, which is where we get uh, our word phobia from. Right? The author is saying we Christians need to be afraid. And what is it that we need to be afraid of? Falling short of, i.e. tripping over before the finish line of entering his rest. Now, we're going to unpack exactly what this rest looks like in our second point, what it is. Uh, but the author is saying that missing out on this rest is something that Christians should be deeply afraid of. However... This is not the kind of warning that should leave us walking around panicked 24-7. Okay, John Piper says this warning, it's more like uh, the warning that parents give to kids about playing on the road. So when you say to your kids, don't play on the road, kids, uh, because a car might come and, and, and hit you and you will be killed. Okay, now, the child does not walk around in a constant state of anxiety about being hit by a car 24-7. The reason being that the child knows that if they are in the backyard playing in the backyard, in the safety of the backyard, they're not going to get hit by a car. However, if their ball rolls onto the road, or they have to cross the road for some reason, that's when they start to get a bit more afraid about where, where, where the cars are at. All right? Their fear arises. And this is what it should be like with Christians. You see, you and I don't need to fear 24-7 uh, losing our rest. But we should fear... If we find ourselves walking too closely to sin and unbelief, have a look at verse 2. Uh, it starts with 4, right? So he's explaining verse 1. For 
We also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. So there's the, there's the sin and the unbelief again. See, what he's saying is the Israelites had the, the, the gospel, the good news, preached to them at Mount Sinai. Now, it wasn't the gospel of the Lord Jesus, all right? Uh, that's the good news we've had preached. The good news they heard was if you obey the Lord... He will, he will bring you into the promised lands. All right? That's uh, Numbers 14, verse 8, as an example. The problem was the entire generation of adult Israelites who heard that gospel, apart from two, had a disobedient and unbelieving heart. They had a hard heart. And so none of them got to see the promised land. None of them got to see rest. So understand the author's argument in verses 1 and 2, because it's complicated, all right? Number one, the Israelites in the Exodus didn't get to enter their rest because of sin and unbelief. Verse 2, therefore, be afraid, O Christian, when you sail too close to sin and unbelief. Verse 1, why is that? It's because just like roads carry fast cars, so too does sin and unbelief carry disqualification from rest. So the question is, what do we do when we start to question or disobey God's word? Because unless you're perfect, and I hate to break it to you, you're not, right? Uh, sin and distrust will seep into our hearts from time to time. And there are two ways that we can approach this when that happens, okay? Um, and it will depend on what kind of Christian you are. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, firstly, there are people in every church who profess to being Christians but aren't actually saved. All right, there are people in every church, and they may have been coming along to that church for years, if not decades, and they may even truly believe in their heart that they're a Christian, yet they haven't actually given their life to the Lord. And when sin and unbelief begin to creep into their life, what they do is they just stand in the middle of the road like idiot kids playing cricket in the middle of Homer Street. They just stand in their fear. And so, friends, if you find yourself suffering long-term fear over, your, over your, your, your salvation because, well, you don't care about fighting sin or you don't care about fighting unbelief in your life, then the application for you is give your life to the Lord and find true rest. But most Christians, uh, most churchgoers, I should say, are real Christians. They are the ones that have actually given their lives to the Lord. Uh, as Jesus says, this is the important thing for Christians, as Jesus says in John 10, 28, no one can snatch them out of my hand. And so the application for us is, don't simply stand in your fear. All right? Don't stand there in the middle of the road like an idiot. Instead, Go back to where it's safe. Go to the backyard of trusting and obeying God's word. All right, so the fear of verse 1 is supposed to be a debilitating fear for 
professing Christians, all right, to drive them to the Lord. But it is supposed to be a warning fear for real Christians to send us back to the Lord. So, the message of Hebrews 4 is, uh, be fearful of not entering that rest. The next question is, what is the rest we might miss out on? And in verses 3 to 10, the author unpacks it for us. But if you thought point one was complicated, uh, it gets worse. And the author begins by taking us all the way back to creation. So have a look at verse 4. For someone has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. Now, in one sense, uh, God's rest was him ceasing from creating stuff. So the first six days of creation, uh, God is creating stuff. And then on the seventh day, he stops creating stuff. So is this rest a form of inactivity? Is it sort of like uh, sipping mojitos by the pool? Well, although God rested from creating on day seven, he didn't stop working. In John 5, 17, Jesus says, my father is always at his work. You see, what happened on day seven is God started to enjoy his work of creation. That's what God's rest is. It's enjoying his creation. And because we humans are the pinnacle of that creation, all right, God's rest is first and foremost enjoying a relationship with humans. So rest is not inactivity, nor is it real estate. Now, what do I mean by that? When the author introduced this notion of rest in chapter 3, he was talking about the Israelites entering the promised land Uh, all right real estate but here's the thing when referring to psalm 95 now that's the psalm he keeps quoting all the way throughout chapters three and four uh, when he refers to psalm 95 he's he's um he says this in verse eight for if joshua now joshua was what was the one that led the israelites into the promised land okay for if joshua had given them rest god would not have spoken later about another day Now, what is this other day? Well, it's the today of verse 95, okay? Uh, And that is in David's day, when they're living in the promised land. And so the promised land cannot be the rest because Psalm 95 is talking to people in the promised land, be careful you don't miss out on your rest. So the rest must still be in the future. Now, sadly, chapter 4 isn't explicit on exactly what that rest is. We need to go to Hebrews chapter 11 for that. Uh, Let me read to you one verse. So when talking about Abraham's longing for uh, the the promised land, he says this, Hebrews 11, 16, instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. You see, the rest Christians should fear falling short of is heaven. Heaven. Be afraid that you do not fall short of heaven. And here's the thing. Heaven is not inactivity. Okay? Uh, We will be working in heaven, just like Adam and Eve were working in the garden. Nor is heaven real estate. Okay? The thing that makes heaven heaven is not that it's a particular place, all right? 
The thing that makes heaven heaven is enjoying a deep, fulfilling and wondrous relationship with God. Bill Dumbrell, he's a commentator that used to live here in Sydney. He said, um, God's rest is always bound up with the enjoyment of God's presence. Right? True rest is hanging out with God and enjoying him forever. And what this means is we are offered a taste of this, but a taste in this life. Now, the real thing is yet to come where there will be no more mourning or crying, no more bindies or mozzies, no more uh, corruption or COVID, okay? But because heaven is first and foremost hanging out with and enjoying God, we are offered a taste of that in this life. Right? So rest is enjoying God now and forever. But the big question verses 3 to 10 asks is, how do we get this rest? And the author hints at it in verse 10. Have a look. Uh, For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. Now what he's getting at is you don't get into heaven by your good works. Uh, Every year I teach my scripture kids uh, in the scripture class, I teach them the exact same memory verse. Now it's not a Bible verse, it's a summary of the gospel and it goes like this. You don't get into heaven by being good, you get into heaven by being forgiven. Now our author says the same thing a little later in the letter. Let me read you a very famous passage. This is Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. It says this, Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. You see, rebelling against our Creator, whom we are infinitely obliged to obey, incurs an infinite debt. And no manner of good works or religious deeds will ever be able to pay that debt off. Our only hope is to have that infinite debt forgiven. And this is what Jesus has offered us on the cross, to take away all our sin, all our debt. And that, my friends, is true rest. We don't have to try and earn our way into heaven through, through some sort of you know, never-ceasing array of good works. Jesus has already earned it for us. And this leaves one last question. How do we ensure we don't fall short? And if you think points one and two are complicated, you ain't seen nothing yet. Check out verse 11. Uh, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So what are we to do? We are to make every effort. We are to work really hard. But Brendan, you might say, verse, verse 10 just said we rest from our work and now verse 11 is telling us we work really hard. Like, which is it? Well, it's both. I told you it's complicated. All right. Uh, so let's break it down once again. So step one, be afraid, verse one, of not entering God's rest, not entering heaven. Step two, to enter that rest, we must trust God. 
Okay, Sin and unbelief is what stops us from entering. Verse 2. Step 3, to trust God, we must listen to the gospel. Still verse 2, right? I mean, if we, if we haven't had the gospel preached to us, then how are we able to trust that Jesus has, has taken our sin away? Therefore, step 4, make every effort to listen to the gospel. You see, while Christians don't work for salvation, we are to work in response to salvation. And we have to work hard. Why? Because as that great reformer Martin Luther said, the default mode of the human heart, even for Christians, okay, is to fall back into works. And that's what the Hebrews were doing. They were falling back into the works religion of Judaism. And so the author says, work really hard at resting. Work really hard at remembering Jesus has done it all for you. Right? The Christian life is not sipping mojitas by the pool. As John Piper says, the Christian life is unremitting focus and earnestness and vigilance towards God. And if you think that uh, the author of Hebrews is alone in this, think again. All right? In Philippians 2.12, the Apostle Paul says, Work out, all right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. James says, Faith without deeds is dead. And the Apostle Peter finishes his second letter with these words. Uh, this is 2 Peter 3.17, Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Right? The Christian life is unremitting focus and earnestness and vigilance towards God. But some of you may ask, well, how does this fit in with election, with, with predestination, Brennan? I mean, you just reminded us of Jesus' words uh, in, in John's Gospel that once you're a Christian, no one, not even you, can snatch you out of Jesus' hand. So where does all this weighty work fit in to us losing or not losing uh, our rest? Well, like point one, it depends on what kind of Christian you are. So let me close with this. You see, when a professing Christian, a nominal Christian, hears the call to make every effort, uh, they think to themselves, oh, well, I, I went to church a few weeks ago. That's enough. Right? Those who claim to be a Christian but haven't actually given their life to the Lord Jesus will see no urgency in this call. And so friends, if you are not making every effort in your Christian life, if you are not obsessed, we saw that in week one, with your Christian life, then you need to at least stop and ask why. Now hopefully... It's because a bit of distrust over God's commands has seeped into your heart and all you need to do is, is, is run back to the backyard, the safety of God's word. But it could be that you haven't actually entered your rest yet. And I implore you to think that through hard. So that's the professing, the nominal Christian. When a real Christian hears this, when people who do rest in Jesus' salvation hear this, they actually stop and ask, am I currently doing enough? 
Now, it's not a burden. It is, it is, it is, a, it is a, like a passion. Right? Am, am I committed to church? Or do I miss one in three? Am I immersing myself in God's word each day? Or do I just read a few verses to tick that box? Am I setting aside a specific chunk of time each day for prayer? Or do I just shoot up little arrow prayers here and fit God in around the edges of my life? Am I actually searching my heart for sin or distrust? Or am I secretly content with that sin or my low level of commitment? You see, a real Christian will allow the scriptures to search them and question whether they are making every effort. Right? This is what the author is getting at in verse 12. So read verse 12 with me. For, okay, so he's explaining the make every effort from verse 11. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirits, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. All right? If you are only a professor, Christian, then the word of God here will have zero impact on you. But if you are a true Christian, when you hear verse 11, it will judge the thoughts and attitudes of your heart and make you ask, what else could I be doing to make every effort? Now, friends, like the, uh, the Hebrew Christians, these first century Hebrew Christians, there will be some people at Erwood Anglican who are in real danger of missing out on their rest. Right? If you walk away from this passage with no urgency to at least assess the efforts you're putting in for your Christian life, let alone ramp them up, uh, then the application for you is you need to assess your whole relationship with the Lord Jesus. And if you want to do that, Get in contact with me this week. But for the real Christian, our application for today is, all right, knowing we already have rested from trying to earn our salvation, what more can I be doing to make every effort in my relationship with God?